Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I am one of the leaders here at the church. It's so great to be with all of you. So I had an experience uh, this week. Oh, let me pause that real quick. Let me just say this. Um, If you have a Bible with you, Acts chapter 2 is where I want to start. Okay, so Acts chapter two, some of you just got a little nervous. You're like, oh, I know what happens in Acts chapter two. Uh, But I want to tell a little bit of a narrative, uh, working my way through Acts two, three, four, and five, just a little bit of a story as we get through all of that. So if you brought a Bible with you, that would be wonderful to turn yourself there. Um, Okay, then this thing happened to me this week. So uh, my wife and I did something that um, if if you lived through last year, and it looks like most of you lived through last year, (laughs) Um, We did something that was so foreign to us. Um, We opened our 2021 planner. Has anyone done that yet this year? And I started planning things for this year. Now, that sounds strange coming on the heels of what last year was, right, where the 2020 calendar just got thrown in the trash can around March. You guys remember that? But um, my wife and I started planning a vacation this year, which is some, yes, I know, not just one, but maybe two. Ooh, rub it in, right? We're going to take little small vacations. Can you turn that down a little bit for me, Aaron? Please, thank you. Um, we're going to take maybe two smaller little vacations, maybe one in the spring, maybe one in the, uh, the fall. But we started putting them on paper, which really tells me we are in 2021 at this point. When you're planning things for 2020, we are in it. Um, and here's why we're doing our vacations this year. Last year, we learned something that... Our bodies need rest. I don't know about you, but when shelter in place came around for me last year, um, it was a relief to some degree. It was a relief to be able to stay home and to not do anything for a little while. I learned in that moment that I was tired. I was uh, getting really close to burning out. And so when that came around, I'm like, okay, this is really good. So all that to say, when we were moving into this year, we decided to go ahead and take that thing, which we know to be good for us, which is a rest, which is a vacation, and to go ahead and plan it, right? Here's what I want to start with with this premise today. The things that you do in life, right, are driven by the things that you value in life. Think about all of the things that you do in your life. If you look underneath them, there's a small value, a set of values underneath that that's driving everything you do. And here's what I learned last year. I needed rest. And so I'm going to value that this year. So we're planning that. Now, I bring all that up to just say this one thing. Um, it's important to have values in your life. It's important to look after the things in your life to determine the things that you do. And it's not even uncommon for churches or institutions like, like us to have values that drive everything that we do. Let me just throw a couple of things out there that we value here at the church. We've always valued excellence. We've, we strive really hard to do things well, and, and I'm happy that we do that, right? That's good. We'd, we'd like things to be clean. If it's ever not clean, I get a little nervous, <laughs> right? I want it to be fun. Church should be fun. Say amen if you agree, amen. or find another church. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Yeah, we want church to be fun, safe, all of those things. We know that our our children's workers work tirelessly to make things fun for the kids downstairs and all of that. 
But hear me when I say this, that all of those values are, are good and great, but underneath those are even more sure, uh, foundational um, pylons, if you will, bigger values even underneath those. And I want to spend today and the next two weeks talking about what those foundational or core values are in the church here at Renaissance. And so today, the first one, I want to speak about the core value that is this, all because of Jesus. Everything we do is because of Jesus. We even like to think that this idea of renaissance first started in the heart of God and was given to us that we might proclaim Jesus to everyone who comes. Jesus is a big deal here. If you ever come to renaissance and don't hear the name of Jesus preached or sung or exalted, we have dropped the ball. Everything that we want to do is because of Jesus. And that's underneath all of our other values because without that one thing, it would it'd be so easy for us to make the church just about excellence or just about fun or just about some of these other things. Underneath all of that is we're really motivated to exalt, to praise, to preach, to teach about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, the Messiah, right? The one that God sent to save the world, to reconcile all humanity unto himself, to rebuild his kingdom. Hear me when I say this, Jesus is a big deal. Say amen if you agree. <sighs> yes, it's all because of Jesus. Now, I was praying this morning in my office before most of you were awake. I come to church really early on Sundays. I just come early to prepare myself. And my refrain and prayer was this, God, would this just be a great reminder for us as a church that we not drift any further from the great uh, commission that you've given us to proclaim Jesus to the people around us. I prayed, Lord, buoy us. I don't even know if that's a verb. <laughs> buoy us to Jesus that we might stay close to him in all that we do. And so I want to talk about what that looks like um, in the church's life, in my life, and maybe even in your life. And I pick all because of Jesus as our primary uh, core value here because I think it's not just important for us to understand that, but I think the church, the church, capital C church, was built on that truth, was built on the reality of who Jesus is and what he's come to do for us. Uh, to get there, I'm going to read some portions of Scripture out of Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. And so before we get there, let me just tell you um, a little backstory and context of what happens here uh, in Acts chapter 2. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come to earth, and he was proclaiming salvation. He was teaching about the kingdom of God, and he came to the people of God, the nation of Israel. And many of them rejected him. And by rejected him, I mean this. They arrested him, put him before a mock trial, <laughs> convicted him, and then crucified him on a cross where he died. The Bible tells us he was buried in a grave. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Happy Easter, everyone. For the next 40 days, resurrected Jesus spent time with his disciples, with his friends, the people closest to him. And he, the Bible tells us that he even ate meals with them, which just, can we just pause for, this isn't in my notes, but just pause for a moment and consider what that looks like for us who have a hope of resurrection. People have asked, oftentimes asked me, Jeff, will there be tacos in heaven? <laughs> 
I'll be honest with you, no one's ever asked me that question. It's my question. I want to know, is there going to be tacos in heaven? And the answer is yes and yes. Yes, because we know when we read about Jesus in his resurrected body that he ate meals with his disciples. Anyways, he's spending time with them preaching about the kingdom of God again and more and more. And at some point, he says to his disciples that he's going to be leaving them. He's going to go back to heaven to be with the Father. But before he does, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them. The Holy Spirit, we just know, to be the third person of the Trinity, the the triune part of God. There's God the Father, there's Jesus the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. After some 40 days, the disciples watched Jesus ascend back into heaven. And then they remember the words that Jesus had said, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit. So they leave that place, go into Jerusalem where they gather together in an upper room somewhere, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, which just means that 10 days after that day, a day comes when a mighty sound like a rushing wind came from heaven, The Holy Spirit came upon his disciples. There's about 120 people in this upper room. And many of them, the Bible tells us, began speaking in other tongues and all kinds of languages was happening. You can imagine how chaotic, if that's the right word, this event must have been. In fact, many people were outside of the room wondering what is happening in there. They even surmised that all of Jesus' disciples must be drunk because they're they're awfully noisy. You know how drunk people can be. You know how y'all can be some days, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, wrong church. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. They just assume they're drunk. Now, Peter, one of the leaders of the disciples, he stands up and he begins to preach. Now, in this message that he preaches, um, we see the birth of the church. So when I talk about uh, little c renaissance making a core value all about Jesus, I want you to know that I think the capital C church is built upon the same premise as well, that it's all because of Jesus. And why do I say that? Because of what Peter says next. So if you turn your attention to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, we'll read what Peter says here. He says, men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. That he starts with Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Before he gets into what happened, before he gets into what's taking place, what is this mighty rushing wind, why are people speaking in other languages, before he addresses any of those things, he begins with these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and, sign, works and wonders and signs. He's basically saying he did a bunch of miracles because God was attesting to him. You know all this. Verse 23, then this Jesus, again, Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God sent him, right? You crucified him, he says. And he was killed by the hands of lawless men. And yet God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Again, side note, I love this truth here. The Bible is quick to tell us that death is a result of sin. And the Bible also tells us that Jesus had never sinned before. So death, check it, had no claim to him. 
He'd never sinned before. So when death tried to hold on to him, it had nothing to grasp a hold of. So he was loosed from the pangs of death we see here. Anyways, Peter continues and talks about some other stuff. The things that were happening were, were promised in the, books, uh, the book of Joel from the Old Testament. All this stuff, you can read that on your own. That's homework, if you like. But if we uh, fast forward down to verse 38 in chapter 2, um, Peter bookends his sermon with these words. And Peter said to them, repent. Turn around. Turn away from what you're doing. Turn back to God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I labor into this point just to, to, for, you, for all of us to see that when the church was birthed, and it says after this sermon was preached, about 3,000 people okay, became believers that day. When, when, when Peter closes his message and says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, about 3,000 people uh, came forward or whatever that looked like back then and became Christians. And that is what scholars call kind of the birth of the church. But in that message, Peter is bookending Jesus Christ. It's all because of Jesus. Can, okay, that's all I'm going to say today. It's all because of Jesus. So just I want you to catch this. It's all because of Jesus, all of it. Everything God is doing is because of what Jesus has made available to us. Your life is transformed and made new because of the works that Jesus has done, right? His work on the cross is liberating you and has liberated you from, from sin. You have the hope of eternal life because of what Jesus has done. He's the big deal, yes? Yes, and at the church here, we want to make sure that he's the big deal here as well. Jesus Christ is the big deal. Now, we continue with this story, if you will, and we begin to understand that not only does God desire that his son Jesus be proclaimed to the masses, which is what we see as Peter's addressing the multitudes or the crowds that's gathering around. This is a very public declaration of who Jesus is. But there are also moments when we want to de declare who Jesus is in a more intimate, I won't say private, because they're not always private moments, but there's very personal moments where you might be one-on-one -on -one with someone, and we get an opportunity to talk about things. And hear me when I say this. If you ever want to call me, and I, I welcome your phone calls, if you ever want to counsel with me, and I welcome all of that, right? If you ever want to do that, here's what you're going to hear from me. <laughs> Guess what it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Most oftentimes, people are struggling with things in their life because they just haven't fully surrendered to Jesus. So we follow Peter along in this story after those 3,000 people became converts. A bunch of other things are starting to happen. And then one day, John and Peter are making their way to temple to pray. Picture, if you will, they're going to church, maybe. And just outside the temple, there's a gate. And at the gate, there's a man. The Bible says is a lame man. Think disabled, think crippled. I don't know if that's even appropriate to say nowadays. But he's, there's something in him that's, that's causing him to sit outside the gate every day and beg. It says he begs for alms or he's looking to provide for himself because he can't work. He can't do something. For whatever reason, something's wrong with him. And as Peter and John walk past the gate into the temple. This man asks Peter for money. And Peter responds to him. And I want you to see his response here in chapter 3, verse 6. But Peter said, well, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. And what is it? In the name of Jesus Christ 
of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I, I, I stuck on this passage um, for a moment this morning because I saw something brand new in it. I've read this many times before, and I bet many of you have as well. But in this man who's looking for some solace, some comfort, some provision, he's asking Peter and John for what he thinks he needs. Excuse me, sir, kind sirs, may I have some alms, please? May I have some silver and gold? And hear me when I say this, oftentimes the world around us is asking for things, for comfort, for provision, for solace, and it's not the very thing that they need. They, in fact, need what? Or may I more probably should say who? Who do they need? They need Jesus. They need Jesus. So all this to say, if you were to sit down with me and ask, Jeff, something's going on in my life, I would point you to Jesus. I would always point you to Jesus. This was true in my own life. So many of my early years, right? I've only been a Christian about 24, 25 years now. Half of my life, I lived my own way. I did my own things. I tried to comfort myself and provide health, safety, joy, hope, all of those things on my own. And I found all of them to be bankrupt to help me. All of them never provided that which I desperately needed. It wasn't until someone came to me and said, oh, Jeff, silver and gold have I none, but I give to you Jesus Christ. It wasn't until God opened my eyes to receive the truth of eyes to receive the truth of Jesus did my life ever change. So pause for a moment, consider why on earth would we build this church or build our lives on anything but Jesus? Let me ask you a question. So why do you build your life? on things other than Jesus. We'll answer that in a moment. <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we won't answer that today. Maybe the Lord would just ask us to consider that question. Why do we look to so many other things besides Jesus? Silver and gold I don't have. I thought to myself, I wonder if Peter actually did have silver or gold. I don't think he would lie. Me and Josh were talking about this earlier. He probably gave his money to John on the way in. He says, I know this guy, Frank. He's going to ask us for money. Hold my money. I don't want to give him any. I don't know. But just know this, that he gets to the crux of the issue. What this man needs is Jesus. And Jesus Christ... In his name, in his power, and by his authority, he says, stand up. Go live now. We see immediately that because of Jesus and everything he's done, that our lives can be transformed. Do you see that? You might not see it in your own life, but can we at least admit that we see it in the life of the lame man sitting outside the gate? Can we at least admit that we see it in Peter's life and others? And maybe we're just hopeful that it's going to happen to you or to me at some point. But I'm telling you, the root in all of that will be Jesus Christ. He is the one who will make us new. Our identities can be changed in the work that Jesus has done. This man, as you can imagine, is now ecstatic because he can now walk. And at some point, carrying on with the story, he finds his way into the temple with James, or sorry, with Peter and with John. 
Now, all of the religious leaders in the temple at some point, they recognize him. They go, isn't that the guy that can't walk? Isn't that the guy that used to be outside every day at the gate? Isn't that the guy that was lame before? And they see him standing up rejoicing God and all of these things. And so they ask him, who healed you? Who did this? And he points to Peter. So the religious leaders go to Peter and John and some of the other apostles and say, what did you do here? <laughs> what did you do? And they even ask this question, by what power or authority, by what name have you done these things? And they claim Jesus. It is Jesus who's done all of these things. Now, you can imagine this, surmise this with me. The religious leaders aren't big fans of Jesus. Am I right? Let's be honest. Not long ago, they killed him. They put him in a grave, and now he's come back to life, which has just befuddled them, right? And now they're wondering what's going on. Now all these apostles are going around saying, gosh, he's been raised from the dead. He's back in heaven now. We have the Holy Spirit. All of these things are taking place. Miracles are still continuing in Jesus' name and by his power and authority. And they ask Peter and the apostles to shut up about Jesus. Can you just not about Jesus? Like, come to temple, we love you, please. Come, come, come. Give your tithe, your offerings, all of those things. But enough with the Jesus-y stuff. How many of you would like to go to a church like that? <laughs> Me either. I want the, the place of worship, the place of rejoicing and exalting to always be about Jesus. So um, Peter and John, um, and just ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, I have realized right now that I'm not going to finish my message right now. <laughs> like I'm out of time almost. So <laughs> it's your, your lucky day, I'm just saying. Um, Peter and John um, are teaching about Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders are silencing them. You cannot do that. And uh, eventually they get arrested. I'm flipping the page now to Acts chapter 4. They eventually get arrested, and they get brought before the religious council or leaders and say something like, haven't we told you guys to be quiet? And uh, Peter addresses them here in chapter 4, verse 10. Um, again, all because of Jesus. This is what we're driving home. And he says this when he's been asked by um, the religious leaders why he continues to preach about Jesus. And he says here in verse 10, let it be known, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel Right, to the people who rejected Jesus, right? he's going back to them one more time. He says, I want all the people to know, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, by this man, by Jesus, that man is standing again. By the work of Jesus Christ, our lives are transformed. Your lives are transformed. I love the church. I'm happy to pastor a church. Hear me. The church can't help you unless it preaches Jesus. Oh, there's such a distinction there. And I don't like, okay, I'm a church employee. So like I'm pro-church just so you know. But hear me when I say this. The church proclaims Jesus. Jesus is the helper. Hear me? Not the church. So many of us say things like this. Oh man, I had a really rough weekend. I probably got to go to church today. I'm the only one? You guys are so holy. <laughs> so righteous, all of you. But hear me, like, the distinction is Jesus. It's not just the church. I love the church. The church is great. But the church proclaims Jesus, and Jesus is the help. Anyways, God raised him from the dead, and by this man Jesus, the lame man is standing before you. 
He continues, and this is where it hits, hits him right in the chin. This Jesus, verse 11, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. God had left them to build his kingdom. They rejected Jesus, the chosen one, the Messiah, when he came. He said, and this stone that you rejected has now become the headstone or the cornerstone. Do you hear me when I say this? The church, all the things that God is doing in this earth and for all eternity is built upon the cornerstone that is Jesus. Jesus Christ. He is the one everything is held against. The strong one who cannot waver or be moved. Your job will fail you. I love you. Your pastor will fail you. Your spouse will fail you. Jesus will never, ever fail you. Are you amening the pastor will fail you part? <laughs> I just want to know for my records. Yes. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the bedrock. He is the sure foundation that everything builds upon. If you want to build hope into your life, build it upon Jesus. If you want to find salvation, don't build it upon Law. Don't build it upon regulations and discipline and, and all of those things. Build your salvation upon Jesus. Verse 11, did I say verse 11? Yes, he has become the cornerstone. So, fast forward a page. Now we're in what I hoped to be the bulk of my message. <laughs> and I have a few moments left. Acts chapter 5, Peter and John and some of the other apostles are brought back before the council because guess what? They continue to preach about Jesus. They continue to preach about Jesus. They continue to perform miracles or whatever in Jesus' name and authority. Verse 27 of chapter 5 says that they were brought back before the council. And it says when they, had been, when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying this, We have strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Right? Enough with the Jesus talk. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered the high priest with these, uh, these powerful words. We must obey God rather than men. We must. Now, the inference here is that God is much about making much about his son, Jesus, because that's what they'd been doing. So we must obey God and continue to preach and proclaim Jesus, not what men like you would prefer. We have to be um, people who make much to do about Jesus. I've said that um, ad nauseum at this point, so apologies. But we must obey God and what his desire is to build the church upon him. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, right? Whom you killed. I just love how Peter goes back to them at that. Like you had an opportunity to receive him, but you chose not to. Oh, this is, oh, this might be helpful. 
This might be helpful because it was helpful to me. Many times Jesus had been proclaimed to me before I became a Christian. Many times, and oftentimes I would reject him. Fairy tales, I would say. The Bible is just made up stuff. Anyone else, right, think these things? There's no way that Jesus is a real person. There's no way that God actually raised someone from the, there's no, and I had, and I kept pushing him away, pushing him away, pushing him away. And yet by God's great love and compassion and grace for me, he continued to present Jesus to me again and again and again until finally one day, by the Lord's help, my eyes were opened and I saw it. And here's a picture of what that looks like. Peter continually goes to those who rebuked Jesus, who actually murdered him. He keeps going back to them saying, listen, listen, you're the one who killed him. You're the one who refused him. You're the one reminding them that they had said no. He's telling them to repent, basically, to believe. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, verse 30, or a cross, same thing. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Everything that God is doing in the world is based upon that, the forgiveness of sin. He is dealing with the sin issue in the world. And he says here in verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who has given, who God has given to those who obey him. So um, really going quick now, when the religious, religious leaders heard this, they were enraged, just like they were at Jesus' own words, and they wanted to kill them. But there is a Pharisee. I'll just keep reading. You guys follow along. But there is a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, which I think is a wonderful name for young children these days. You can pick that up. Gamaliel, come inside. It's time for dinner. A wonderful man named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. He stood up and began to address everyone. He gave orders to put the men outside for a little bit. And then he said to the men, to them, men of Israel, take care for what you're about to do with these men. He's like, put your knives away, okay? Holster your pistol. Before you kill these men, I need, I need to say something. He says, for before these days, Theodos, I don't know who that is, but we'll talk about him in a minute. Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. I wonder who killed him, by the way. Wink, wink. <laughs> Any ideas? We don't know, but I think it's the religious leaders. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So here's a man who thought he was somebody. Actually, this person, history tells us, was claiming to be the Messiah, the chosen one, the Jesus, if you will, to come and save his people. And he wasn't. And when he was killed, everything dissolved. And after him, another man, Judas the Galilean, verse 37, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people. After him, he too perished. Huh, wonder how he died. We don't know. We'll just guess at that one. And all the people who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I'm telling you this, to keep away from those men. Leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, then you will not be able to stop it. You will not be able to overthrow it. And you might even be found to be opposing God. All because of Jesus. All 
because of Jesus. That we stand on the side of Jesus Christ. We stand on the side of the work that he's doing so that we can be with God, not in opposition to him. And then if we're going to be with God and the things that he's doing in Jesus, the only hope for success lives in this lane. Because everything else, as I've already mentioned, will lead to a cliff or lead to a place of bankruptcy or lead to a place of default or want or um, emptiness. But all the success that we have in our own personal lives and the hope of the church is going to be found in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're visiting Renaissance and you're like, gosh, those guys, enough with the Jesus stuff. <laughs> I love you. But this might not be the church for you. <laughs> That's all we want to do is, is proclaim Jesus. I don't know why we would want to do anything else. It's easy to get into other things. And I find myself slipping into that every once in a while. But if we remind ourselves that God built his capital C church upon Jesus, and if we continue to build our church on Jesus, we'll succeed, we'll do fine, people will come to salvation, people will know, we'll be fine, and we'll be doing the work of God. Now, leaving that aside in these last few minutes, what about you? What about you? It's easy to stand from an institutional standpoint saying, these are the things we value, great customer service, blah, 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 excellence in all of our manufacturing or whatever, right? And have values that push us forward. And the church can do so as well. But what about you? See, in a real understanding of who God is and what he's done through his son, Jesus, it can change who we are, what we do, and why we do it. The who you are can be changed. The hopeless, lost sinner can be left behind, and you can be made new. You can become the righteousness of God. Now, I don't know what your third grade teacher called you back in grade school, but I assure you she never called me the righteousness of God. <laughs> if there's an opposite, that's me. But our, our who can be transformed, our what can be transformed. What we do with our lives can have a completely different purpose and or function. We can totally live for the things of God. And then motivationally, the why that we do the things are now driven by Jesus. And all of a sudden, our life takes a different... Is direction the right word? I don't know if direction is the right word. But all of a sudden, our life just feels like it fits the world now like what the things that we long for. Does that make sense? All right. So um, I just want to close in prayer then. And if that's, if that's okay with you guys, I want to push against that question. What about you? What about you? Is your life about Jesus? Is everything you do about Jesus? And if it's not, I think the Lord would want to change that for you. If it's not, if, if your go-to prayer isn't for Jesus to help, if you're like, well, I can handle this or I can take care of this, the Lord would want to correct you in that, okay? So Jesus wants to be the head of everything, okay? So uh, let's pray together um, so we don't go too long. Lord, uh, thank you for this 
loving reminder that you built your church on the proclamation of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus, and the work of Jesus alone. God, thank you for that reminder. We want this church to be that as well as we've stated. But Lord God, more, more importantly, we want our lives to be established in that truth. We want our lives to be much about Jesus. We want to we stand in a place like the apostles did when the world tells us that we shouldn't be doing these things. We want to rebuke them and say, no, no, we must be about these things because the world, it cannot save us. The world cannot help us. Only Jesus can. So God, I thank you. I thank you that we can see all of that work in our lives through your son. I thank you that I can see it in the lives of people around me. And ultimately, Lord, I thank you that we, when we look back through the history for 2,000 plus years, Lord, you have used that message of your son Jesus to transform history. God, I thank you for the work that you, you've done and continue to do. God, continue to work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 